Good morning. Good to see lots of kids walking out of here. We're in Acts 2. We're doing five weeks of our Jerusalem, which is a way of saying we, like the New Testament church we see in Acts, are called to take the gospel to our Jerusalem. That's who we are. We're people called to communicate the gospel as witnesses of what God has done for us. So uh, we're going to have a good time here in Acts, the second chapter. I'm going to ask you to open up to Acts, the first chapter, though, because that is where we'll start in just a second here, Acts 1. You can follow along in the sermon notes. Got a few blanks there we'll fill out as we go along. And, uh, and some life group questions for you. These life group questions are sermon-based life group questions. So what we want to do is we have our small groups continue to think about, pray about, work through the things we're talking about here in worship in our lives throughout the week, in community with other people, so that this one little bit of, of word of Acts 2 today isn't it for you. We want to encourage you to, to continue to study the word and to make it a part of your life and, and to work that out with others. And so we call that cultivating growth. We call that developing in our lives through the Holy Spirit a place where he will change us and help us to grow. And we, we, we do that in two ways. One, in relationship with one another, horizontally, and then vertically, in our relationship with the Lord through prayer and the Word. And so uh, study groups um, are part of that. Life groups are part of that. And so uh, if you're here and you're a guest with us, uh, we're super glad to have you. I want to warmly welcome you and let you know that, uh, that we are really glad that you're here. Uh, we have what we call study groups in the hour preceding this, and you can see some of those on the resource tables, those options there. Uh, those are ways for us to continue to cultivate growth in our relationship with one another. Before we dive into Acts 1, I just want to uh, point out to, to some of you who may know this and some of you who may not, uh, Bob and Sylvia Burns are going to be moving to uh, South Korea. Bob and Sylvia have been uh, longtime members here at First Christian Church, and, uh, and Bob has taken a permanent job in the Republic of Korea, in South Korea. So uh, they're going to be moving there pretty soon, and uh, Bob is on his way there, I believe, this week. And uh, Sylvia will be around for a little while to start to get the house ready. So um, we want to pray for them as a part of our, our time in prayer here before we jump into the Word. So we want to, to pray for them and, and send them out from us as missionaries and continue to ask for for God to be uh, close to them in this transition time. So join with me in prayer, if you would, please. Lord, we have grown to love and to know Bob and Sylvia well. They've served here for for many years and in various capacities, and we will greatly miss their faithfulness in serving the Lord, their enthusiasm for, for truth and for right living. Lord, the Burnses are dead serious about their faith. And they aren't afraid to do or say something about it. And so we ask that you would continue to use them for the sake of the gospel in the world. We ask that their strong relationship with you would sustain them in this transition. We ask for strength and for courage and for patience as they adjust to a new culture. We ask for wisdom as they seek out a new church home and as they look for Christian fellowship that supports them and helps them to grow. Lord, we ask that you would use them, that you would send them out as missionaries to continue the work that you've called them to, the work of making disciples and building your kingdom. Lord, we will miss them, but we look forward in glory to hearing how you've used them 
and for hearing them provide testimony of the way you've worked in their lives. Lord, that's what we pray for all of us. We pray for soft hearts that are full of your Holy Spirit because, Lord, we are easily weighed down, distracted by sin. And so we ask that that our time together as the body of Christ would recenter us, that it would comfort us with your Spirit. We ask, Lord, that you would feed us from your Holy Word. We ask that you would give us a passion for lost souls, a passion for kingdom work, a passion for a purpose in life that goes beyond us, but that we can participate in your awesome work of redeeming people to yourself. Lord, I ask that you would give First Christian Church an unquenchable fire to fight for souls. Put in our hearts a desire for making disciples. Give us strong hearts that are ready for battle. Send us from this place ready to fight with the knowledge that your mighty hand will accomplish the awesome task of making known your glory. In the powerful name of Jesus Christ and by the power of the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Uh, You may want to write this down. It's my working assumption about what's going on in Acts is that beginning with the book of Acts, beginning with Acts in the New Testament, all the way to today, God is calling his people to carry on the work that Jesus started. God is calling his people to carry on the work of witness, of personal experience of the Lord in our lives, lived out, seen in the lives of others and in ourselves, lived out to testify to the truth that God is who he is and who he claims to be. Now, please don't just sort of gloss over this important truth. It's, it's real easy to know, sit in pew week after week and be like, yeah, I know I'm supposed to reach out for Jesus. Yeah, Jesus. You know, you, you get that sort of like, if I hear one more time about how I'm supposed to tell people about Jesus, you know, you get to that place, you know, <laughs> you get to that place real easily when you've heard it a lot, don't you? So I want you in, in the pages of Acts, reading through Acts 1 to 5 once a week in our study, in our, in our life groups, I want you to fight hard heart kind of thinking about this. Because what God wants to do with us through the Holy Spirit is provide for us the kind of life that you've really always wanted, which is excitement beyond what you can possibly imagine. I mean, what we see in Acts 2 is the best kind of life possible. The kind of life that puts it out there. That doesn't just pretend like, you know, this Jesus thing is fun, it's nice, I like to keep him in my heart and just me. But that does something. I mean, if God is God, then it works. It does something. It changes hearts. It's about life transformation. So Acts Acts 2 shows us a picture of what life is meant to be like when lived by the power of the Spirit. So don't just let your heart grow hard to the truth that God is calling his people to carry on his work as witnesses. In fact, and here's what we're saying. This is where it gets personal. God is calling you, singular, individual, to the work of witness. He's calling you, not like, you know, this person next to me or them over there or, or that, that person I know who has lots of scripture memorized and can quote scripture in verse and, and lead someone down the Romans road, you know, those kinds of professional people, the people who really know what they're talking about and have, have answers ready, you know, like, like, like they're ready. They've got it. They know. Witness is not just for those people. In fact, in fact, the picture in Acts 2 is that, that witness is for all who love and serve Jesus Christ. So the truth is that God is calling you to carry on his work, to carry on the work as a witness. 
So as we saw last week, Jesus comes and he says, this is what I've done, now it's your turn. And we see that at the beginning of Acts 1. We'll just sort of go through Acts 1 quickly here to, to review some of that if you weren't here last week. It says this, verse 1, at the beginning of Acts 1. It says, in the first book, O Theophilus, this is Luke writing here, in the first book I have dealt with all that Jesus began. Circle that word, Jesus began, because it's key here. Jesus began this, and we carry it on. And Luke is being very clear here in verse 1. Jesus started, you pick it up. This is in continuity with what I told you about in the Gospel of Luke, he says. So in the first book, O Theophilus, I've dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, until he ascended, which we'll see later on in verse 9. It says, after he had given commands, after Jesus had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. So verse 3, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And look at verses 4 and 5. This is huge. Verses 4 and 5, Acts 1. It says this, while he was staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait, but to wait for the promise of the Father. They're waiting for the Holy Spirit. We learn that in the next little verse here. It says, Wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized. You will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So they're sitting there waiting for this this special outpouring of the Holy Spirit. They're in Jerusalem. Jesus has said, I'm going to go. I'm going to leave. I'm not going to be here with you, uh, but you're going to have to stay here. Because you are called to carry on the work. All that Jesus began to do and teach, Luke says, now it's your turn. The ball's in your court. <laughs> and they knew, they knew because they were good Jews, they knew that when, when the kingdom of God was meant to come, when the kingdom of God arrived on earth, then the, then the Spirit would be poured out. There would be an outpouring of the Spirit that would accompany the kingdom of God. They knew that from Joel 2, if you're going to take notes, Joel 2, 28 to 31. It's quoted later on in our passage in Acts 2. It's a huge, a huge key to understanding what's going on in Acts 1 and Acts 2. So then they ask this, verse 6, Acts 1. When they had come together, they asked him, this is them asking Jesus, Lord, will you at this time, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Jesus had just told them to wait for the Holy Spirit which he had just told them in verse 5 would come not many days from now. It turned out to be 10, 10 days from now, at Pentecost, 50 days after the death of Jesus. They ask this question because they know that when the kingdom of God comes, it's going to be because the Spirit has been poured out. In fact, that's what means the presence of the kingdom of God is here. The Spirit of God is now with us. And so the kingdom of God has arrived. It's here. Peter will pick up that idea later on. And so they ask this question. It sounds dumb to us, like, duh, why don't you know this, disciples? But it's a valid question. It's a good question, in fact. And they say, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And I think Jesus hears that and he goes, yeah, we'll get there. We'll get there. But not yet. Not yet. I think he enjoys and appreciates their enthusiasm. I think they're ready to get at the work. But then he, he says this, and I don't think he wants to burst his bubble. I think he just wants to say, this, this is what's really going on. Verse 7. It is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. And then he says this. Awesome verse. Verse 8. Memorize it. It's the key to, to Acts. It's the key to Acts. He says, but you. 
but you. Don't sit around waiting for me to make this happen for you, Jesus says. I'm leaving. The Holy Spirit's coming. I'm leaving. The Holy Spirit's coming. Now it's your job. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you, plural, will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. In concentric circles, there Jerusalem, off to Judea and Samaria, and those places that Jews don't go, and then to the end of the earth. Not just Samaritans, but, but the goyim, the, the non-Jews, the, the, the dirty non-Jews that you don't associate with. Jesus himself is saying, get out of your own little Jerusalem. But we're going to focus on Jerusalem. So let's focus on Jerusalem here in, uh, in uh, chapter 2 of Acts. Our Jerusalem, of course, is Greenville and Green County. Our Jerusalem is that first of those concentric circles in verse 8 of chapter 1. And so we're going to focus on, on the way that, that these issues meet us in our everyday lives. And I want you to be asking yourself the kinds of questions like, what does it look like for me to walk out those doors and be a witness to my neighbor, to my coworker, to my family member, to the person that I'll be meeting tomorrow? Because if this isn't lived out, if this isn't lived out, then we're wasting our time. To celebrate God, to have good singing and, and time together with the, with the fellowship of believers and to cultivate growth together, if we're doing first and second C but not third, pack it in, go join some pedestrian social club because it's not worth it for us to just keep Jesus to ourselves. So he's saying... Think about, pray about, be cognizant of one's own role as a, as a witness, as someone who has experienced Jesus personally, so that that ushers forth in carrying on the work he's called you to. We'll see that in three different ways as we fly through Acts 2. Uh, most preachers do this in three messages. We're going to do it in, like, the last half of this message. There are three main parts to Acts 2 we're going to look at here. The first is that the church is born of the Holy Spirit. Let's look at the picture of what that means here. This is the first 21 verses in Acts, the second chapter. Picking up at verse 1, chapter 2. It says this, When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. When the day of Pentecost, meaning the 50th day after the death of Jesus, uh, the Greek word Pentecost just means 50th. Uh, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. This was not the 12 disciples big D. This is the 120 disciples small d. This is the larger band of followers of Jesus, men and women who had followed Jesus for a while, 120 of them. So, so it's important to note that, that when the Spirit comes in power, it wasn't like to the special spiritual theologically trained elite. <laughs> it wasn't to like the professionals. In fact, that's one of the things Acts 2 is saying. It's for all of you, all of us. And so the role and the responsibility for which we are all held accountable isn't whether or not you've been to seminary and you know answers. Sometimes going to seminary means you know how to tell people uh, what I think it means, but I'm not 100% sure about some things, so let me uh, confuse you. I mean, that's sometimes how I feel when I'm giving people responses. But this, you don't have to go to seminary to know. Acts 2 is calling all of us. All of us. 
to this task. Whew, I'm getting fired up. When the day of Pentecost arrived, it said, they were all together in one place. And they were probably all in that upper room in one place waiting. Now, they weren't just sitting around playing cards. We know that because it says in verse 14 of chapter 1, all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer. They were continuing to wait for the Holy Spirit to come, praying for him, waiting for him, saying, Lord, come fill us. We're ready for this work. Is that your prayer? Is that the prayer of our lives? Come fill me. Take those places where you are not and ready me for your service, Lord. So that's what they're doing when they're together in one place in the upper room. Suddenly, verse 2, suddenly, it wasn't something that, that, that they knew was happening right this moment. It's something that connotes the presence of God making it happen. Suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, it says. It says it's like a mighty rushing wind. There might have also been wind. We're not sure about that. What we know is that there was a sound. There was a sound that could be heard. We'll see evidence of that later on. There was a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and that sound filled the entire house where they were sitting. Now, remember, they're not just playing cards. They're, they're praying. They're devoting themselves to the, to the work that God had for them as they waited for the Holy Spirit. So verse 3, divided tongues as of fire. Divided tongues as of fire. Our best guess is that these were like little fires uh, that looked like tongues. Uh, that's probably the most accurate description we can give to that. And it was probably one, uh, one fiery tongue-like thing that was ushering forth in small little fire-like tongues that rested on the, the, the 120 followers. They were issuing out from one source and landing somewhere on each of them. We see pictures as if it was the head, but, but, we, but we don't know. Scripture is not clear about that. So throughout Scripture, uh, this idea of fire, uh, much like the wind, is associated with the presence of God. It's supposed to mean God is here now. It's supposed to, to be evident to them, and, and I think they clearly understood this. They're good Jews. They're thinking, holy cow, fire. Moses in the burning bush, the pillar of fire with the people of God out in the desert. They're thinking, Isaiah 6, who sees the seraphim, these, these sort of winged, fiery kinds of creatures who just praise God. These are good Jews. They know that. And so they think, man, the presence of God is here in a special kind of way now. That's That's... That's new for them. That's new for anybody. And that's what creates the church. The presence of the Holy Spirit in hearts of individuals together carrying out the purposes of God. That's the church. And that's what births people. And that's what births the church is the presence of the Holy Spirit. So divided tongues of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. Then verse 4, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues. This word here for tongues is a Greek word, dialectos. It just is where we get our word dialect. It's just a way of saying it's a language. It's a language. This is not what some call speaking in tongues as if they were unintelligible words that needed a special interpreter. Um, that's another issue for another day. These were words that were clearly able to be understood by those who heard them. 
And so when we say tongues, we mean dialects of language. They understood and could hear what was happening as they were proclaiming the works of God. This was happening because the Spirit did it. It says, the Holy Spirit was filling them, and they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. In other words, the Holy Spirit was doing this supernaturally. So verse 5, now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from, from every nation under heaven. This is important to note because it was, after all, it was, the, it was the largest feast of the year for the Jews. It was 50 days after Passover, and it was a, it was a harvest feast. It was at the end of one harvest and at the beginning of another season, and uh, they would come together to, to say, thank you, Lord, for the food you've given us. And it would also be a time where they would say, thank you, Lord, for the law you gave us at Mount Sinai. Thank you for the truth of who you are given to us in the word. And so this, this feast was a huge feast. It was a huge festival for them. There, there were at least uh, 100 plus thousand, many scholars think up to 200,000 of, of people, of Jews from all over uh, the known Roman world who would come to Jerusalem for this feast. So these devout Jews were there when all this is happening. So at this sound, verse 6, at this sound, I tend to think that this sound is the sound of the, the mighty rushing wind, by the way, but it, but it could also be that they're hearing the sound of the speaking of the tongues of the disciples. could be both. Whatever the case, these Jews who were in Jerusalem could hear what was going on, whether it was the wind, whether it was the, the, the languages they're hearing. Uh, they could hear it because they were close enough in the upper room to the temple grounds, to the temple uh, there, because uh, as we'll see later on, 3,000-ish uh, come to Christ that day. And there's only one place in Jerusalem that holds that many people. It's the temple grounds. It's the only place. And so they were gathered there for their feast, for their festival. And, and in the upper room, close enough that, that they started to take notice, this is going on. The, the sound uh, was, was loud enough to cause a ruckus, really. So, so verse 6, at this sound, at this ruckus, uh, the multitude, it says, came together and they were bewildered. Because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished. Natural world response. They were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? When they say that, it's sort of like saying, Aren't these folks from the south? Because Galileans were known to have a certain kind of accent. And so these people who are hearing the Galileans, of all people, uh, tell me something in my language, even though I'm from, from way somewhere else, they, they note that and they go, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? So they're thinking, wow, I mean, what's going on here? I can understand them, and they're speaking Southern. So they ask this question, verse 8, how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? They don't have an explanation for what's going on. They want to know what's going on here with all this ruckus. Luke is careful here to make sure he shows us and that we know how many different kinds of people were there. And so in verses 9 through 11 there, he lists all of those places from which people have come. This is pretty much all of the known Roman world in the first century. And this would have been all of those places from which Jews would have come to Jerusalem for this feast. So don't miss the significance of what's going on here. Don't miss the significance. For those of you who are with us in Genesis uh, for 100 years when we went through Genesis, um, you'll remember the Tower of Babel. 
This is the opposite. This is like redeeming the Tower of Babel. And we don't have time to unpack all this because I've got seven minutes left. But write down Genesis 11, Tower of Babel, and think through that and compare it for your own study this week because there are lots of ways in which this is an undoing of the Tower of Babel. This is God saying, hey, I'm going to make it possible for you to carry on the work because you're going to be able to take the gospel to the world. That's huge. That's awesome. That's what's going on here in Acts 2. So we we pick up here in uh, verse 12. They were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? They didn't know. They're hearing them tell the, the mighty works of God, it says in verse 11. They're hearing them tell in their own tongues the mighty works of God, and they're amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? A natural response. And then another natural response. But others mocking said they're filled with new wine. They don't know what the significance of it is. They think maybe they're drunk, maybe they're crazy. What's going on? And so Peter... I like Peter. I like him more and more. (laughs) He's got the guts to stand up and say, let me tell you what's going on. Verse 14, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. I'm going to explain this for you. He says, for these people are not drunk as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. He's almost joking like, hey, it's only 9 a.m. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. This is Joel 2 we talked about earlier. Joel 2, 28 to 31. And he interprets this passage. This passage is is in two parts. We'll see here in a second. And uh, we'll tell you what that means here. So he continues to talk about this in Joel 2. He quotes this and says, In the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. This is why the Jews thought when the kingdom of God was going to come, it would be known because the Holy Spirit would come in power. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit would accompany the coming of the kingdom. So what that means here, if you're following along, verse 17, where it says last days, that means now. And in these last days, when the kingdom of God has come, it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days, and he he wraps this first section up again by repeating it, he says, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. He's saying, it's happened now. The significance of this, as he's speaking to the Jews who are listening, is he's saying, the kingdom of God that you've been waiting, that Messiah that you have been waiting for, has already brought the kingdom. It's here now. And then he says something that's that's significant. He jumps way ahead to the very end of time. And he says this, verse 19. I will show wonders in the heavens above. He's quoting Joel. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. These are images that the Bible uses to talk about the very last day of the Lord, the coming of the Lord, the second coming. It says the sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before, and here's the phrase, the day of the Lord comes. That's the singular day of the Lord, the phrase used in Scripture oftentimes to talk about the second coming of Jesus. He says, before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. So here's what's going on. He's saying, listen, they're not drunk. They're not crazy. In fact, the kingdom of God is here now. It's here now. And we know that because here begins the last days. Today, Pentecost, the Holy Spirit is here. And from this time all the way till Jesus comes back, verse 21 is true. 
it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Think about that. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Peter is saying it's available now. The day of salvation has come. So he's explained it and he starts to give what's basically the first gospel sermon in verses 22 and following. Follow along here. We'll, we'll skip around a bit. But look at, look at how he becomes bold to preach. And that's what happens when the church has the Holy Spirit. That's what happens when it's in your heart. You are bold to preach. You are bold to preach the works of God as a witness. He says this, verse 22. Men of Israel, this is Peter speaking. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst as you yourselves know. This Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. In other words, God's plan all along was for this to happen. We'll jump back to the text in just a second, but think about this. Put this in your back pocket. You cooperated in the plan of God killing himself but you are guilty for the sin involved in it. Write that down and chew on that one for a while. It was God's plan to kill Jesus, but it's our sin he holds guilty for it. Think about that for a while. So Peter lays it out there. In the middle of this sermon, he lays it out there with power and with conviction. He says, this Jesus, the one that was attested, that you saw, who did these works and wonders, this Jesus you crucified and killed. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Verse 24 says, God raised him up. The one that you killed, God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Now jump down to 32. He continues, he says, This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. He's speaking to Jews, some of whom don't yet believe in Jesus. He's saying, you're a witness of this. You saw it. We are all witnesses of this. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Verse 33, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this, this what you see happening, that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. And he says this, Let all the house of Israel, speaking to Jews, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him, that Jesus you crucified, both Lord and Christ. And it says, When they heard this, they were cut to the heart. That's what happens when the gospel is proclaimed with boldness in your life and people are ready to receive it, you're not going to be able to, to make sure someone will. You're just not going to. So you're going to have to get over that fear because it's the Holy Spirit who is going to change a heart. And so you're, you're going to just have to get over the idea that you can control that and have to worry about that. Because this is what happens when the gospel is boldly proclaimed. It cuts to the heart for those who can hear it. For those who have ears to hear. And they were cut to the heart and they said to Peter, I imagine they were at this point saying, I'm undone. I don't know what to do. I get it, Peter. What am I supposed to do? And that's what they say, brothers. What shall we do? Verse 38, Peter says, repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. And you will receive the gift of the Spirit. 
For that promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. It says, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Everyone from that time of now at Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit has come, to when Jesus returns. All that time in between. God has given us grace to accept him. And so he goes on and he says, with many other words, he bore witness, Luke tells us, and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. Then Luke tells us those who received the word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. So the church that is birthed from the Holy Spirit is enabled to powerfully proclaim, to boldly preach the works of God. And the picture of that is what we call the 3C life. We see that pictured here. There's a beautiful picture of the church here in Acts 2, 42 to 7. Luke sort of summarizes all of this stuff going on here. And he says, look at what this beautiful picture looks like. This is the church as it's living the 3C life. We see all three of us celebrate God, cultivate growth, communicate the gospel sees. We see them here. It says this, verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching That's in both worship, when they read and studied the word, and when they discussed doctrine, they learned together in what one might call a group of studiers. And the fellowship, that's the word koinonia, that's the commonness they had, the fellowship. That's like our cultivating of growth. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. The breaking and bread of prayers and of prayers is worship, it's celebrating God, It's, it's what we're doing now. And it says, awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. They were communicating the gospel by what they did and by what they said. It says, all who believed were together and had all things in common. Cultivating growth again. And they were selling their possessions and belongings, distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Cultivating growth in relationship with one another, yet again, communicating the gospel in service by helping someone else. And no, this isn't communism. That's a government-imposed system. This is a Holy Spirit-driven response. This is a Holy Spirit-driven response to the gospel, to reach out to someone else and to take care of their needs. So verse 46 says, day by day, remember they were devoted to it, Day by day, it's like they couldn't get enough of it. Day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. What a beautiful picture of a group of believers born of the Holy Spirit to boldly preach the gospel. Friends, the message is simple. The application is clear. God is still calling us to live as witnesses. So be encouraged. Be emboldened by the truth that God has made it come to pass. Verse 21, that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. The Holy Spirit lives in you so that you can carry on Jesus' work. Keep that real close. Holy Spirit lives in you so that you can carry on Jesus' work. So that we can stand like Peter in the midst of a corrupt world, brokenness all around us, in the midst of a generation and a world that is clamoring for answers, begging 
for salvation from sin. And like Peter, stand to be a witness. So who of us will stand and be a witness? Lord God, we ask for forgiveness for times we have shrunk back in fear, worried what people will think of us. We ask for power by your Holy Spirit to proclaim the gospel. Give us wisdom. Give us strength. Give us courage. Enable us, Lord, to be the people you've called us to be. Holy Spirit-empowered witnesses to the truth that you are not play. You are not pretend that you are the God you claim to be because we've seen it in our own lives and experienced as witnesses firsthand what it means to have a life transformed by your holiness and your goodness, your faithfulness to do what you said you would. We give you glory and praise for that, Lord, and ask that our lives would be lived as response to that truth. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.